Got, if you've got suntan lotion, you might want to get it out and put it on so you don't get burnt looking at my graphic. All right. Everybody say the cry that moves the hand of God. Mark 10, 46 through 52. Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52. The Bible says, Now they came to Jericho, and as he, Jesus, went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, set by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. And so Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus on the road. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would breathe on your word today. Your word says, if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. So I pray, God, that what, what I speak today, the words that I speak, would be empowered and inspired by your spirit. Your word also declares that uh, we are to pray that we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. And I pray, God, the, God that the eyes of our understanding would be open, that we would hear your word today, that you would give us ears to hear and, to, and hearts to obey so that we can move into a level of prayer and connection with you, unlike we have ever experienced, to see the hand of God move powerfully in our lives, in our families, in our communities, our nation, and our generation. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Everybody say, there is a cry that moves the hand of God. How many parents do we have here? How many grandparents? How many great-grandparents? A few. I'm a grandparent. I know it's hard to believe that. Maybe not, but it helps me to say that about myself. Um, it was funny. Molly's here, and Molly's brother, Will. This is my niece. Will is my nephew. Uh, when Ezra, our grandson, was born, he uh, made a statement. He said, well... Everyone got a promotion except me. And we said, what do you mean? He said, well, Uncle Matt, he became a grandfather. Bren became a grandmother. Josiah, he's an uncle. Jordan, he's an uncle. And me, I'm a first cousin once removed. What's this about? No, but seriously, how many love kids? Kids are a trip, right? And, um, you know, one of the early things you find out is that uh, the cry of a child, all cries are not created equal. Uh, because there's, there's a cry that's legit, and then there's a cry that's just annoying. How many parents know the difference? Amen. And so we're kind of learning all this new now because Ezra, he, he cries. There's a legit cry, and then there's the arched back cry. And the legitimate cry is the cry like, oh, yeah, he, he's in big trouble. The arched back cry is just, 
you know, he's got trouble with the way he's not being treated correctly in his mind. I'll never forget when uh, Jordan was little, and how many of parents uh, discovered like a Tuttle Mall or somewhere like that where you would take your kids, and, and they had this big play area. And I think it was in Tuttle, they had like the pancakes and the bacon and, you know, all this breakfast type of, you know, things, and the kids would run around. And, and so one day I'm sitting there with Brandon, all of a sudden, you know, because moms have superpowers that dads don't have. I thought I'd get a better amen from the moms on that. Like, why would we amen? You're just stating the obvious. What do we need to affirm that for? So we're talking, and Brent's like, where's Jordan? I said, uh, what do you mean, where's Jordan? I hear him crying. There's like a hundred kids running around, and she can distinguish her baby's voice among the hundreds. And he had fallen and gotten hurt, and she could hear the cry of her child and know in that moment whether it was an arched back cry or a legitimate cry, right? Because not all cries are created equal. It was funny when I was uh, getting ready for this this morning. Uh, I was, you know, uh, our, my, my daughter and her husband live with us. Brandon's still in school. And, and so we get, you know, some baby time here and there. The baby time that we want because that's what grandparents get. And when it gets a little tough, you just hand them back. And so that's the good thing about being a grandparent. But uh, he has this thing. He'll wake up and, and uh, he's, you know... He wants to go outside. Him and I, we have this tree thing going on. We go and talk to trees and talk to this tree and that tree and, and all this type of thing. So he gets up, and he always wants to go outside. Well, there's also a rule. He's not allowed in my office because every time he gets in my office, he falls and he hits his head. And so they've made an executive decision that Ezra and Papa need to be separated because every time they get together, something like that happens. So I'm working on my message. I, I have no time, and I'm trying to get this thing done. And all of a sudden, I can hear him walking. He walks in front of the little you know, French doors, the glass doors. He looks in and sees me, and he starts knocking. And he's got that look on his face like it's tree time. It's tree time. And so you know, Dad does the thing that he does. Brandon comes by, and he picks him up and says, No, Ezra, we need to go. And, and he walks in, and I heard him cry. And I heard him begin to cry, and it wasn't the arched back cry. It was the, Papa, it's tree time cry. And so I went out, and I want to be careful because I want to, you know, we got to keep us separated because we get in trouble. Ezra and Popoffs get in trouble. So I went out and picked him up, and we went out, and we looked at the trees. And, you know, in that moment, it didn't matter that I had very little time to get this together because the cry of my grandchild caused something in me to move that would suspend everything else because there is a cry that moves the heart of a parent or a grandparent. Come on, somebody, if you know what I'm talking about. I want to tell you, there is a cry that moves the heart of God. And when we talk about prayer, prayer essentially is this. You know, the Bible says that uh, the spirit that God has given us cries out. What? Somebody help me. Cries out, Abba, Father. Uh, one of the indicators that you truly have been born of the Spirit is there is a change in your spirit to cry out to God. That's why sin will never be the same to someone, again, who has truly been born of the Spirit because now there's a conflict within. You used to run and do that, and you felt no compulsion to, to not do it, but now you've got to cry for in your heart for this Abba Father, this God of yours. So there's this cry that is at work within our hearts. There's also a cry that can come up in a believer that, that is not the cry of the heart, but it's more like the arched back cry, that entitled cry. 
that cry that, God, why can't you do this now on my time with this person, with the way that I think it is, and sometimes I think it should be. And sometimes we are wondering why our prayers aren't being uh, answered the way we want them to be answered. Could it be that sometimes we are crying in a way that is not consistent with the heart of God? Somebody say amen. Sometimes there are arched back prayers. There, you know, God, you got to get this done now prayer. There's a cry that God says, you know what, it's better that I not answer this prayer, but sometimes maybe I've got to hold back because i got to teach you some character that is more important for you than you getting the thing that you think you should get. That being said, there is a cry in the heart of every believer that as we learn how to yield to it, it can literally move the hand of God. Somebody say amen. And how many want to hear, want to know more about that cry today? So I'm going to use this text as kind of a back, backdrop. And I'm going to quickly bring some things out of this passage that I think talk to us about powerful principles of prayer. The setting is Bartimaeus, who is a beggar, is on the side of the road. Every day for his, you know, for what all we know, it could have been all of his life. He wakes up in the morning and puts on his coat goes to the same spot, and because he's blind, in order to survive, he has to beg. His mind works perfectly. His arms work perfectly. His legs work perfectly. But his eyes can't see. Many of us are otherwise able, and yet there's issues that we have. They keep us from becoming what God would have us to be. And so we learn how to compensate for our issues too often by downgrading dreams and sitting by the sides of roads and begging. Begging can become a mentality that feeds into identity. Did you notice in the text they introduced him not as Bartimaeus, but as blind Bartimaeus? You read the scripture, there are other instances of blind men and and deaf men and and people with uh, issues, but it usually says a man who was blind, a man who was deaf. This scripture indicates that his disability, his inability, his issue had been so engrossed into his identity that he became known by what he couldn't do which then determined how he lived his life but one day he hears about this man named Jesus when he hears that Jesus is coming down this road he begins to cry out and this cry will actually get the attention of God. Jesus, surrounded by thousands that day, will keep on moving until he hears that cry. Like Bryn next to the pancakes and the bacon and the syrup. She can hear a certain cry in this crowd because there was a quality to this cry that stopped God. And to cause God to move in power, to set him free. The first thing about this cry, and I'm going to kind of break this down and 
Uh, somebody help. There you go. He's got it. He's a pro. All right. Is this a cry of selective hearing and right response? Everybody say selective hearing. Selective hearing. Right response. And I'm not talking about Jesus hearing. I'm talking about this man's hearing. Let's look at the scripture. We'll kind of break this down. They came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Verse 47. And when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. What struck me in this scripture is this. There was a whole lot of other things going on he could have reacted to. He's a beggar. He's near the ground. This crowd meant that the dust is now beginning to stir up. This noise of the crowd would be, make it very difficult for him to beg and take care of himself. But somehow he had the ability to have a laser-like focus to cut through the drama and immediately recognize what was relevant. My first year of law school, they taught us four main classes. You took contracts, torts, and property. The foundation of all modern English law. you got to understand those three things. There was a fourth class, though, called legal writing, where you completely relearn how to write towards a legal objective. And what they teach you principally early on is you've got to determine what's relevant and what's not relevant. You've got to look at a whole lot of data and put within a brief only that which is relevant. In other words, you've got to have a selective hearing, if you will, and an ability to cut through data and recognize what you should respond to and what you shouldn't respond to. You say, what are you talking about today? I'm telling you that the most powerful prayers begin when you've got a discernment to recognize, I'm going to ignore that, and I'm going to ignore this, and I'm not getting caught up with dust, and I'm not getting caught up with the, with the, with the crowd and, and what they're shouting, but I recognize somewhere in the midst of this mess, there's a God that's coming down the road that has the ability to lift me up, selective here. Hearing right response. Somebody say amen. You say why is this important? Because too many believers are addicted to drama rather than focused on their destiny. I'm going to preach today. Too many of us, some, we can't even get to praying because we are annoyed at the people around us that are kicking up the dust. Or we are annoyed that people are yelling and screaming and interrupting our regular activity. Can I tell you this? Jesus has come many times to interrupt your regular activity because what you need is to get delivered from what is normal to come into what is supernatural. Somebody give God praise. I'm going to get you there today. Oh, I feel good. <laughs> I feel this. How many want to pray with more power? Then you got to learn how to turn down the drama volume. We want miracles. We don't want messes. But do you know it's the mess that qualifies you for the miracle? We want healings, but we don't want to live in a world where there's sickness. But the only reason God heals is because there is sickness. I'm not saying on you. I'm saying on somebody. We want revivals. We want souls. But we don't really like the souls when they come. 
We want God to bring people to the altars. We don't like what they have on them before they get to the altars so we can minister to them and get them to the altars. We love the miracles. We don't like the mess. And we get hung up on the mess and miss the fact that, we, we listen, we don't focus on the relevance that what is happening here might seem not normal. It might be annoying. It might be stirring. I'm, I'm smelling dust. I can hear the voice of the crowd. But in the middle of the voice of the crowd, there's a Savior. If I can focus on it and embrace it and let it become my cry, I can move to a point where there's a God that does the supernatural in my life. Somebody say amen. Oh, number two, number two, number two. All right. The cry that moves the heart of God is a cry that makes a declaration of dependence. Let's look at the passage here. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Every cry that is powerful is birthed and rooted in this concept that without God, we can do nothing. You remember Jesus said that? Without me, you can do nothing. You know, on the 4th of July, we celebrate the Declaration of Independence. Where our nation made this bold decision to sacrifice honor, to sacrifice riches and fortunes in the pursuit of separation from a tyrannical king. They wanted to impose taxation without representation on the British colonies. They rose up and said, I don't think so. And declared their independence. This document, the Declaration of Independence, written by Thomas Jefferson, co-authored by John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, includes language that is very strong concerning a declaration of independence from Britain. History focuses on that idea of independence. But we hear less about what truly empowered the document, which was their declaration of dependence on divine providence. For at the end of that declaration of independence, Jefferson's writes that we rely on with firm reliance upon divine providence. In other words, they said the strength of this declaration of independence from this tyrannical ruler is not going to be our own ingenuity, our military prowess, our intellectual abilities, our ability to manipulate and politicize, but it will be our eyes looking up to the God that alone has the power to break us free from every tyrannical bondage. What am I saying today? I'm saying every cry, that every prayer that has the power to break bondages and bring an anointing that removes every burden is a prayer that is not rooted in our ability, but in the incomparable ability of an almighty God that has never lost a battle, never known a foe that he cannot defeat. He's all-powerful, almighty God that we declare complete dependence on. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. Two elements here of dependence I want to bring out. Number one, dependence is based on who Jesus is, not on what you've been called. It's interesting that 
he had been called blind Bartimaeus. But when he started talking to Jesus, he did not lead with who they, what they called him. He led with what, who he, was, what he called Jesus. He said, Jesus, son of David. Every Jewish boy, as I understand it, by the time they turned five years old, were versed in the Torah. Many of them memorizing the entire books of those scriptures. I find it interesting that in this crowd of thousands that day, only one person truly saw who Jesus was, and he was a blind man. Never had dinner with Jesus. Never had sat in Jesus' presence that we know of. He'd only heard about him. But when he heard the testimonies of the Son of God, it started to mix with the word that he had heard as a child. And he began to cry out, Jesus, Son of David. That term, Son of David, it was a messianic term of art. It referred to a Messiah that would come, of which promise the promises had said that when he comes, he will open up the ears of the deaf. He will cause those who are lame to walk. He will cause the blind to see. Healing will be in his wings. So when he said, Jesus, Son of David, he wasn't saying Jesus of Nazareth. He's saying, I know who you are, and I'm going to base my cry not on my reputation. I'm going to base it on revelation of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Somebody give God praise if you believe. Too often we base our cries on our condition. Rather than his covenant, our reputation, rather than his revelation. But the cry that moved the hand of God. Listen, blind Bartimaeus could have led with everything eating him up. But instead he said, I'm not going to lead with what I'm going through. Because every time I just talk about what I'm going through or what they've called me, that doesn't build faith. But we'll, what builds faith is when I begin to confess, I know who you are, Jesus. You're the healer. You're the deliverer. You're the savior. You are the God that can set me free. Does anybody hear what I'm talking about today? You want to declare a dependence on God? Then let the very first thing you do when you hit trouble is not talk about the trouble. Don't talk about the storm. Don't talk about what they're saying. Don't talk about what you're going through. Because you know what? When we talk about the trouble and we talk about who we are, we tend to that tends to result in arched back prayers God do you know what I'm going through why is everybody picking on me and it isn't that God doesn't love us and it isn't that God doesn't want to move but it is a fact that listen God is not a respecter of persons but he is a respecter of faith without faith it is impossible to please God That's the scripture. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Somebody says, well, I don't think faith is necessary for for God to do the miraculous. True to some extent, he can come sovereignly and do whatever he wants at any time because he's God. But because he is interested in more than just getting sight to the eyes. He is interested in establishing relationship in the spirit of this man. 
He says, I want to restore trust. So I want you to come to me through faith in who I am. Why is faith necessary? Because faithlessness is what caused this mess in the first place. Years ago, I began to question and read through the scripture. I thought, why is it by grace through faith? Why does God use faith? Why couldn't it be something else? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, I want to take you back to the beginning. Paradise was lost when man ceased to trust God on the basis of his word. God God creates man in the image of God. He says, you have control over all of this. I want you to manage this entire creation. And then a snake slithers in. And you remember what he said? Did God truly say that? Did God truly say that? And when Adam doubted, he disobeyed God. His disobedience was rooted in his inability to believe in the goodness of God. So doesn't it make sense that when Jesus comes back, he says this. I'm going to do all the hard work. But what I'm trying to get to is not behavior modification. Let's just do this. Believe that I am who I say I am. Trust the foundation of any relationship. Trust is what heals our heart. So this man here is saying, he is leading with this. I know you're the son of David. I put my trust in you. The second element of this dependence is that it's fluent in the language of mercy. Jesus, son of David, I deserve to be healed. Jesus, son of David, I'm a little bitter that you didn't come sooner. Jesus, son of David, while you're here, could you please shut up that person that annoys me and this one that annoys me, and they only give me five cents a day, and that gives me ten cents a day. No. Part of what he begins to cut out of his prayer is any sense of any motivation not birthed in the need for mercy. Have mercy on me. I found my prayers become more powerful when I'm fluent in mercy. I can't even pray for Matt, and I love Matt, and I, man, we're close. But I find my prayers hit a new level when I sense the mercy of God for his life. When I begin to feel and pray, God, Lord, cover him. God, work in his life. Lord, in Jesus' name, let let the mercy and the grace of God begin to work in his life. I find in my own relationship with my wife, if if I'm fluent in mercy, there's a closeness that is there. I recognize I need mercy. I recognize that I'm not praying to, to, to settle scores. I'm praying so that I can be clean before God. Come on, somebody. There's a revival that's getting ready to come to America, and we're going to see signs, and we're going to see wonders, and we're going to see miracles, but all that is going to be secondary to us first getting our hearts right before God, because I think sometimes we are too arrogant to carry the anointing that is precious before God in the way that we should. God does not anoint us in order to make us something. He does not give us gifts in order to lift up our names. He gives us gifts because we are fluent in the language of mercy. We understand that we have received mercy, and therefore we're going to give mercy. We have received forgiveness, and therefore we're going to give forgiveness. 
And I find it interesting that the cry that day that moved the hand of God wasn't just God, Lord, that I believe that I know who you are, but then God, let me be right with you. Created me a clean heart, oh God, is what David said. The one that could bring down giants, but also commit adultery in a moment. But at the end of his life, God will use him and say, that boy right there, he eventually got there. He did all of my will, and this is why. he didn't. It wasn't because he knew how to throw a stone, and it wasn't because he knew how to put on a crown. But he said, that boy right there, he's got a heart that is after me. He knows how to pray. Let my heart be right. Let my motives be right. Let my sins be forgiven. And let the motivation of my heart be to not only receive mercy, but to give mercy. And when that gets in our spirit, devil, look out. Because he has no answer for the mercy-driven prayer. Mark eleven twenty two. have faith in God. Mark eleven twenty three. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And we preach that, and we pray that, and we get excited, and we shout, and then we go to Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them. And you shall have them. And then we get really excited. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to have what I say. And we close the Bible. And we start confessing the word. And we start saying, God, I believe I receive all of these things. But we forgot verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any. Because the fuel that drives faith is the fluency of mercy. Because mercy received positions us in absolute dependency. Have mercy on me. I'm dependent on you. There's nothing in me that deserves your hand. But in mercy, I'm made a new creature. That in Christ, I can have it all. Number three, number three. Cry that moves the hand of God is a cry that refuses to allow a crowd to shape the cry. Wish I, wish I had three nights. They're kind of like all individual messages. Jesus comes, surrounded by a crowd. Blind Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, I know who you are. Have mercy on me. He begins to cry out. You would think that the people around him would be excited for him. You would think that the people around him say, hey, he's over here. Jesus, he's over here. He wants to be healed. You know what the crowd does? Hush. In fact, look at the scripture. This is amazing. I read this this morning. I'd never seen it. This part of it. They didn't just tell him to shut up. I preached that for years. It says, then many warned him. You know what a warning is? It's not just could you please be quiet. If you don't stop, consequences will come. And 
Every time you begin to truly cry out to God, there will be a crowd that will not be comfortable with your passion. I was a youth pastor for years. I've done preach to young people for years. It's amazing how many will be on fire at the conference, on fire at, at the camp, on fire in a service. But when they get back to the crowd, the crowd has a way of tempering their cry. And if the devil can use a crowd to temper your cry, he will keep your prayer from moving the hand of God to the degree that it should be. But can I tell you, let's not talk about teenagers. Let's talk about us grown-up teachers, that grown-up teenagers that live in a culture that is a crowd that wants to temper the cry of the Holy Spirit. You say, how does it do that? You can't get on Yahoo without seeing three articles as to why the church is an inflexible organization that is not enlightened who needs to stop talking about biblical absolutes that needs to stop talking about what the scripture says that they're trying to silence the cry of the church the prophetic voice of the Lord does anybody hear what I'm talking about today I'm telling you that the church is getting ready to break through because we're not going to be beholden to the limiting pressure of the crowd that is listen they don't even know what they're doing but there's a spirit at work in every crowd that wants to silence the word of God because that spirit fears the breakthrough of a cry that says we're not letting people determine the level of our spiritual passion when Jesus is right there we're going to get to him no matter what does anybody hear what I'm talking about today I'm not letting the spirit of this age shape what I preach shape my expression shape how I worship shape how I talk about Jesus why because the crowd didn't save me. The crowd has no power to remove the blindness from my eyes. But there's a God that I will worship, that I will cry out to. Because, listen, he has the power to define me and tell me who I am and heal whatever needs to be healed. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. In fact, you know what the Bible says? When they told him to shut up, cried out all the more <laughs> how many of you are are that person tell me no watch me go what did you tell me to do hush up I think I'll get a little bit louder I think the church needs to say, you tell me no, devil, watch us go. You tell us to not go into the inner city, watch us go. You tell us to silence our praise, watch us go. You tell me that the storm around me is too big for God, and you want me to stay home and be depressed and not come to church or not lift up my hands or not get in the Word? Oh, I don't think so, devil. You just overplayed your hand. You just let me know you are fearful of what is in my cry, so I'm going to cry out all the more. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Somebody give God praise. Next point, I got to hurry. Huh. So many good things in this passage. The cry that moves the heart of God is a cry that throws out old coats. Hold this. So as I understand it, the Roman government, in order to protect the integrity of donations to beggars, they would vet them to ensure 
that there was an actual disability that made it impossible for them to make a living wage without begging. Once vetted, they were issued a government coat, a beggar's coat, that let everyone who longed to be charitable know this is a legitimate need. This coat that Bartimaeus threw was not Old Navy, North Face. It was a government coat that let everyone know he was a beggar. Perhaps that's why the scripture identified him as blind. Bartimaeus says, in order for my cry to be complete, I'm going to let Jesus know in my faith that I am so convinced that I am going to be healed, that I am going to refuse to wear this token of the identity of who they said I was as a blind man. In other words, my cry is so convinced that I believe when I get up to the master, I'm not going to need to beg anymore, but I'm going to take it off before I ever see. Do you know sometimes God will require us to take off old identities in order to walk in the new power of who he says that we are. You cannot mix an old reputation and a new calling and expect that you will have the level of prayer that moves the heart of God. But sometimes the problem is this. Our prayers are incomplete because we're still wearing the coat of the beggar while we're standing in front of Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes we're wearing that coat because it's comfortable. Sometimes that, that, that's why Jesus, and I'm going to get to it, said, what do you want me to do? He's got to know, do you want it? Because listen, here's, there is a price to healing. There's a price to restoration. We don't often talk about it. But listen, we don't just need an encounter. We need an exchange. Jesus said, I can show you miracles, but here's what will change your life. Will you come and lay down your life, take up your cross and follow me? Because until the church learns to crucify the flesh, we will never know the true freedom of the spirit. And too often in our modern day, we want to prophesy and fornicate at the same time. Did I just say that? We want to move in the gifts and still have our pornography on the side. We want to sing about freedom, but not be free, to, free in our life. We want to have speaking in tongues of fire, but at the same time have the fire of gossip at work when we're not in church. But I'm telling you, God's saying this. I want to move you to a place of power in prayer, but you're going to have to lose the coat, baby. You're going to have to take that old thing off. It is not in style with your destiny. It worked with your past your history but you're in a new time a new day a new point in your life where you've got to throw off the victim's coat and come and say Jesus put a new coat on me of power and destiny and purpose I'm not a beggar anymore number five number five the cry that moves the hand of God is a cry of faith. 
that touches the heart of God. Where we move from begging for anything to being secure enough to ask for what we want. Let me give you these scriptures and we'll wrap this up. Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? I uh, heard at camp meeting, Pastor Parson made a great comment. So I have to footnote him. I usually try to footnote anybody I quote, but he said the modern church, we have exchanged that convicts me for that offends me. And part of the reason we don't see the power of God in our church, we've lost the culture of honor. Like seriously, if, if you can just without any sense of conviction just talk about another believer, talk about a leader, or talk about a church, people doing the work of God, there's no conviction in your heart. That's a, that's a problem. Or be so offended that we can't hear the voice of God in conviction. Then that's a problem. Because what Jesus did here to set this man free most likely offended him at first. He's blind. Everybody knows he's blind. His name, for God's sake, is Blind Bartimaeus. He's just thrown off a coat that says he has a disability. No doubt Jesus is here, and he's, Jesus says, rise, come to me. He's walking around. He's saying, all right, Jesus. I'm in. No, no, he's over here. And so they're, they're helping him get there. It's obvious he's blind, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Because it was important to the miracle for this man to be specific. Because for all Jesus knows, he just wants a donation. Have mercy on me. What does that mean? I can have mercy on you a number of ways. I can make you more comfortable in your bondage. I can get you a new coat. I need you to be specific. You know the reason why we're not specific is because we've been disappointed so many times that we end up praying general prayers that have no power. And if God were to move, you wouldn't recognize it because you didn't even ask for it. Tell me what you want. Jesus is not playing hardball. Jesus is trying to heal him to believe that the dreams and the destiny and the power are still within him despite the fact that he has not seen in years, despite the fact that they've told him you're a beggar forever. Too often, listen, Jesus is there and we are in the presence of God, but we still have a beggar's mentality. And what Jesus is doing, he's forcing him to articulate something from his own mouth that will redefine not only how he sees God but how he sees himself moving forward from this moment that's why Jesus won't just come and say let me give you your sight back he says what do you want I want this miracle to be something more than just a healing of your eyes I want to build within you a faith and a tenacity that you know who you are because they've told you you're a beggar they've told you that you grew up on the wrong side of the tracks they've told you that you can never preach they've told you that you'll never sing they've told you that you can only make this much money and you'll never make that much money because you came from this place. You don't have the education. You don't have the tenacity. You don't have the character. And I'm telling you, I hear Jesus say, why don't you just tell me what you want? Why don't you dig down deep in your spirit and stop letting a coat and a crowd define you and let that which God places within you rise up and become your prayer that creates a new reality. They walk through these scriptures. I'm getting ready to close. 
Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your what? I thought Jesus healed him. He did. But what made him whole? Never seen that before. Jesus healed him. Faith made him well. Greek word whole. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Because he needed more than a touch on his physical eyes. He needed to see that I'm connected to a Savior that makes me a son. And when I speak to mountains, they move. Too many of us are, listen, we are managing mountains that we are called to move. We are walking around promises lands we are called to enter into. All because we have not articulated and bought into the concept that God can give me a clear desire that will blow my mind. And I can speak it and begin to see it come to pass. That's why he says, Bartimaeus, you tell me what you want. Because I know what you need. I want to know what you want. Because I'm thinking beyond this corner of Jericho. I'm thinking beyond this moment. I'm healing more than your natural eyes. I'm healing the eyes of your spirit. Because I want you to get up and when your eyes open up to a world that it's never seen, I want something in your spirit to rise up that recognize where you got the miracle. The God that was good enough to give it to you and to have a confidence that if my eyes got open on the side of that road by the power of God working through my faith, I can use this faith to change the world to change my home, to change it. Come on, somebody. God wants us to cry out with specific desires. I'm going to give it to you in the Word. Oh, next scripture. Without what? But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God, two things, must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Next scripture. Therefore, I say to you what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. Do you see that you cannot really even truly pray effectively unless you desire some things? Clear-cut desires. Next scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give thee what? I believe that works two different ways. One is he gives me. The actual desire. But as I continue to delight in him, my cry changes. And I begin to cry out for things I would never think of. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man. That which God has prepared for those that love him. But he has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Now the spirit is the Lord. Paul wrote, and where the spirit of the Lord there is, is, there is freedom. So as I begin to get into the presence of the Lord... As I begin to delight in Jesus, as I begin to worship God, as I begin to say, I'm not going to get pulled away in drama again. I'm going to worship God. Why am I worshiping God? Because desires suddenly begin to form in my spirit. I'm not getting pulled back again. I'm going to get the desires of God strong in my spirit. And when they get in my spirit, then I go over and I begin to pray. Go back to that Mark 11:23. Mark 11:23. When I get the desire in my heart... Whatsoever things I desire, when I pray, I believe I receive that. How many of you see that right now? See that today. Everybody say, he wants me to delight myself in his presence so he can give me desires that I cry out for. 
and that begin to come to pass. So what would our families look like if we learned that type of cry? Jen, I'm looking. You're seeing right now, holding in your arms or in the bassinet there, the fruit of your desire right there. You know what that is? That is a desire come to pass. But you had to fight for it. You had to fight through the drama. You had to fight real battles to keep that desire. But you kept that desire. And you kept on crying out. And when you kept on crying out and you kept it specific, God came and said, I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. What did you used to believe for that you don't believe anymore because the devil downgraded your dream while you were begging? God's saying now, let me stir up specific desires for your life. I'm going to close with this, but let's just make it real practical. I believe there should never be a promotion that you didn't first see in your spirit. Now, it might happen because God blesses us. But I'm telling you there's a place in the spirit. You can see jobs. You can see promotions. You can see children. You can see church buildings. You can see movements. You can see homes. You can see the blessing. And you're not being arrogant. You're saying, God, put in my spirit what is next. And when he puts it in your spirit, then you begin to get it into the incubator of prayer. And when you get it into the incubator of prayer, it grows and it grows and it grows to where it eventually becomes your cry of faith. And then Jesus says, let it be unto you as your faith has said. Paul Youngy Cho, that built the largest church in the world, wrote a book called The Fourth Dimension. And I'm closing with this. Anybody get anything out of this today? Um, built to like some absurd, I mean, I, I mean that positively, number of like 800,000 people, I think. And uh, back in the 70s and 80s. 800,000 people in one church. Seoul, South Korea. I mean, it was a legitimate revival move of God. Started with 20 people in a tent in, in a poverty-ridden section of Seoul. He says how he, what was the secret of your success, Dr. Cho? I pray, I obey. He said he would begin to pray and God would begin to show him things. When we pray God is showing us things, the question is, do we, will we let ourselves believe that it's God? Now, does that mean that everything you see in your spirit or everything you see in your mind is God? No, but... You know, sometimes you don't know until you start praying it and God changes it. But don't be afraid to pray big prayers. Otherwise, then you'll just see general things happen. God taught him this principle. He said things like he'd start praying and he said he'd hit 500 people. And he felt like being birthed and he'd pray it until it grew so big and eventually he would see it happen. He said he was in a building project and they needed a million dollars. And he said he was freaking out. He said he couldn't sleep. He was in anxiety. He couldn't figure out how to get it. I mean, he's in a poverty section of salt. It's like 1972 or 73. And so he went to prayer and he said he continued to pray. And he would pray, God, show me. And he said eventually there was a day when he said it got in his spirit. It was a desire that became a persuasion. He was at the breakfast table and he looked up at his wife. He said, I got it. 
I'm pregnant with a million dollars. And he said from that moment on, what was in his spirit became his cry. And the money came. And what does that mean to us? We're not in Seoul. We're not building, you know, million-dollar churches yet. But I, I'm just saying, which is not a lot of money today. But in your life, where do you need to give yourself permission to be specific? Are we praying survival prayers over our marriages rather than saying, God, give me the best marriage this side of heaven? We're praying, God, just please let me keep my job. Let me keep this job. Maybe it's a job he wants you to get to next that's better and bigger. But you can't see it because it's a survival mentality. And Jesus is saying, won't you tell me what you want? Because you're my kid. Talk to me. Let me put within you desires bigger than you ever could imagine. And when that cry gets in your spirit, it's a cry that God's hand begins to move and do supernatural things with. Amen? How many believe that today? Stand with me, if you will. Stand with you. You got anything, Bren? No? Let's lift up our hands and let's say this. Say, Jesus, we love you so much. We know you love us so much. So, Lord, we want the cry of our hearts to be so aligned with your heart and your purposes and your word that supernatural things happen first within us and then through us to change our world. Make us so secure in you that we'll ask you for big things. Mm. Lord, I pray that you would heal every hurt place, every broken place, so that we can be whole, nothing missing, nothing broken. Those who have doubted that they can make a difference, those who have doubted significant areas of what you've called them to do, God, just right now bring healing, bring strengthening, and Lord, we pray, Father, that every person in your army here in this room would be whole and strong and getting stronger, that their prayers would be powerful, that their hearts would be filled with you. And God, that you would use us to radically change the world around us. In Jesus' name, spark our cry to make a difference. And God, we throw off those old coats old identities, prodigal mentalities that worked when we were trying to just survive but that need to be discarded now that we are living to thrive in the spirit, in the name of Jesus. How many believe you received that today? Amen. Can we give the Lord a praise? A shout of praise.